You're here at episode 208. Winter just kind of feels harder than the other times of year, right? It's just more difficult to get motivated and do stuff and equally a bit more emotionally challenging too. If you feel any sense of anxiety or depression or simply that the weight of your life is heavier than it should be, then I've got something for you. It's this podcast. (laughs) What I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you the absolute easiest and best thing that you can do to improve your mental health from a biochemical standpoint and explain how vitamin D can help you build the neurotransmitters that make you feel good, along with making every other part of your body feel better too. Are you ready to feel better? If that's a yes, then let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Welcome back to another episode of the show here with your host, me. (laughs) Just you and I today. So sorry to bring that devastating news, but... uh, As we trudge forward through this year that is, what, the hangover of the last few years, uh, it's still my mission to coach 300 people to get control of their emotional eating so they can lose weight and actually keep it off without counting calories or eating rabbit food. And if you want to get involved, you can join the Facebook group, you can send me an inquiry on the website uh, or slide into my DMs and send me the word program. And then we can uh, have a conversation, get you on a call, see if it's right for you and Bob's your uncle. Off we go to dealing with your health issues through primarily psychology and secondarily nutrition and then voila, absolutely abundantly well. (laughs) T's and C's included, conditions may apply. (laughs) Anyway, I'm jumping in here because I want to talk to you about uh, vitamin D. And it's interesting that I kind of referred to this year as the hangover on the way in because I want to talk about the way that vitamin D and depression and anxiety and mood disorders uh, and the health of the body are affected by vitamin D, uh, which is, you know, in some spaces, it's kind of up for debate. Uh, To me, it's super obvious. There's a lot of research studies out there, but I really do think that the year that has been 2022, although the world uh, pretty much got back to normal, a lot of people uh, really struggled to get back to normal. And I include myself in that. Uh, A lot of people really, really struggled with a lot of things. A lot changed, the world changed, and we really found ourselves in a position where we were in recovery mode, trying to get back to normal life, trying to get back into the world of being social and putting ourselves out there and being confident and juggling all the balls and a lot of people finding that like they just didn't have the get up and go that they used to have and there was social anxiety and there was fear and depression and the news really did its job over the last few years of leaving people inside. I've even spoken to people across the entire year who at different points are still afraid of going outside and you know mingling and going to weddings and events and um, it's you know the last few years has really affected us is what I'm trying to say and so what I want to do is uh, help people get get themselves back and I think that this is a really easy way to do it depending where you live in the world Um, however at the very least we all have access to supplements if we're listening if you're listening to this Uh, but we also have access to the sun so I want to get stuck into why vitamin d is so important in 
the health of the body, depression, anxiety, mood disorders. Um, and we're going to go through a bit of a spiel uh, about it, a bit of a conversation. Uh, and I'd love you to do this outside with your skin in the sun. And that's the most important take-home message from this is that just being outside is not enough. You need to have your skin in direct sunlight. Anyway, let's get into why. So speaking on the note of deficiency, so uh, we've got uh, the World Health Organization predicts 1 billion people worldwide have some kind of vitamin D deficiency and studies in the US show that like we've got 42% of people deficient and 77% of the US population are below sufficient. So they're two different categories, below sufficient and then deficient. Altogether, Terrible, basically. <laughs> um, in Australia, the, the, it's predicted one in four. However, that is that's kind of a, that data is a little bit old. So my prediction is that it's going to be a little greater than that, especially after the last few years of spending so much time inside and a lot of people now working from home, not not you know walking to the train station and uh, driving to work and and having those even though very brief and um, don't move the needle much, but no longer having those experiences where you do get exposed to the sun, uh, you know, even if it is on your hands or face or legs only. Do you know what I mean? So, um, but as it sits, you know, about one in four bordering on one in three in Australia and much of the Western world is the same because if you think about it, up until, let's say, last 150 years-ish, probably a lot less, we were mainly outside. Most of the time, employment was outside, catching up with people was outside. Sure, there was, there's been buildings for thousands of years. I'm not debating that. But most of what we did was outside or we had to go from one place to the other by being outside, uh, not going from apartment to in the car to into the garage to into the building. Do you know what I mean? Where we don't get exposed. And so uh, not to mention that obviously clothing is different now. Garments are different now. Socializing obviously is a big thing that would have happened outside far more than it does now. And that was one of the things I liked um, across later in the lockdowns as the rules kind of became flexible is seeing so many big families in parks, Uh, you know, not only kids running around barefoot, in the grass, which is incredibly important. And we've done an episode on grounding and earthing, which is episode 158 with lovely friend of mine, Matthew Titmus. Uh, but the other thing is outside, even on cloudy days, even on cloudy days, you're still getting uh, the UV rays through the clouds to get onto the skin. Now, there's a lot of really, really good stuff that comes from vitamin D. And so I want to jump into a lot of the benefits that we get from it. However, I also want to acknowledge here is that uh, some of the stuff I'm going to talk about is an association from a research perspective. And what that means is that association is not correlation, right? So it means that we, we, we can see that, there, that when something on this side happens, something on the other side happens, but we're not totally certain what happens in the middle as to what produces that outcome. So I just want to put that out there. However... Again, in my opinion, it's, it's, it's not really debatable given that we spend so much of our lives inside, indoors, when for almost all of human history, as we evolved from, you know, how, whatever your belief system is, if you believe God created the earth or you believe we evolved from chimps, either way, for most of that story, either of those stories, the very, very vast majority of it, 95 plus percent, we were spending so much of our time outside uh, being exposed to the sun. Not only that, is that uh, for a lot of that time, there was not really international travel. So the color of your skin 
was designed based on your genetics, which was designed based on the environment that you lived in. And so now we have international travel and immigration and movement of different people with different skin colors to different parts of their of the physical globe, resulting in different experiences for the way that they absorb vitamin D. And so we actually absorb this uh, vitamin D or rather the creation of vitamin D is triggered through a cascade that happens in the skin from UVB radiation. So that hits the skin and, and starts the process with, uh, with cholesterol molecules. So cholesterol is not all bad. <laughs> uh, we've got a debunking episode on that if you want to check it out as well which is episode 136. So go and soak up some of that juicy content. <laughs> That's one of my favorite ones. Uh, but the reality is that we, yeah, we absorb the UVB radiation, hits the skin, uh, and then begins this cascade, which begins creating vitamin D. And vitamin D, interestingly, is not a vitamin. It's a steroid hormone. Um, and that basically, what a hormone is in the body is that it's where it's created and where its impact is means that the, the chemical or the compound has to traverse the body and go to somewhere else uh, and to, to do its job. So it's not actually a vitamin and it changes. Um, physical structure changes when it hits the skin, right? And then goes through this cascade. So every tissue in the body has vitamin D receptors. So that should obviously tell us at the very least that it's important enough to be included in every one of your 37 trillion cells, however many we've all got because we're all such different heights and shapes and all that kind of jazz. Um, and going back to the skin thing too, so we know that people with darker skin have an increased concentration in their skin of melanin. That's literally what is making their skin darker. So lighter skin is able to absorb more vitamin D, more light, because we have a lower concentration of melanin. And I say we because I am not too far off translucent personally. <laughs> Um, and so this is, comes back to the, the geogra geographical location. If you move more towards the equator, so the closest part of the earth that is to the sun, uh, a lot of the people in that belt around the world have dark skin, dark brown or very black skin. And that's because they are physically the closest to the sun. So they, they need a higher concentration of melanin in their skin in order to protect them from being burnt to a crisp rapidly every single day of their life right um and and we know from this uh this kind of skin association and vitamin d and sunburn is that african-american people in the usa are 28 times more deficient than caucasians 28 times more deficient um, and interestingly melbourne the city that i'm in in australia has a very high population of immigration from different parts of the world africa being one of them uh, the middle east also being one of them uh, and interestingly melbourne has an extremely high number of autoimmune diseases and the place on the globe that melbourne sits is actually uh is situated in a place where for a lot of the year well not a lot of the year for about three to six months of the year we are not really in a position to be able to convert any of the light we receive on our skin into vitamin D. And this is the same for Tasmania in Australia and also the South Island of New Zealand and many parts of the Northern Hemisphere in the really cold Nordic regions as well. And so what this means is that uh, people with darker skin in these areas become really deficient because not even us, you know, translucent white people are able to actually absorb enough uh, given how low the melanin in our skin is. It's like we're so available with our receptors. To, we're like, come on, give it to me. Give me all the vitamin D. Uh, and so anyone with darker skin than that is at, at a massive disadvantage in regards to their capacity. However, if we were to move all the same 
groups of people to the middle of the planet, to the equator, then we would find that white people would probably develop far more cancer and people with darker skin would be able to regulate, their skin would be able to regulate the intake of these uh, UV radiation in a, in a way that means that their cancer risk would be less likely, um, which is why someone like me, my background being English and Irish, that type of thing, my skin is designed for that part of the world. <laughs> it's not designed for a country that has 45 degree days, you know, and so um, it's just interesting to consider. And back to the sort of maybe more Nordic regions of the world, um, although this isn't quite there, but it's up that way where it snows plenty, Sweden. So a lot of European countries have uh, influxes of African immigrants and people that have moved there for whatever reason. Um, And obviously we could dive into the millions of reasons why people might want to leave Africa. But there's a study done uh, in or an observational study done that was done in uh, Sweden on a Somali, Somalian population that uh, had migrated there. And what they found is they found specifically in that population, so obviously really dark colored skin uh, in a country that is pretty cold (laughs) and difficult to get uh, from the sun all year round, uh, that there was a link between vitamin D deficiency and the frequency of occurrence or the prevalence of autism. Super interesting, right? Vitamin D is so important. Now, I want to dive into what it actually does inside the body because it does so many things. And even though we're focusing on the mental health aspect here, I want to do a few others just to give you, I want to to layer up the importance of the vitamin D so that you really start prioritizing you, your partner, your kids, you know, prioritize everybody getting outside. Um, So what does it do inside the body? So loads of really cool stuff, right? And going, I guess before we do move forward, the people that need to really pay attention to this kind of information are people that are overweight and particularly in the obese or morbidly obese category because obese people are three times more deficient than people that are not obese. Um, old people are more deficient. And the interesting thing about the old people thing is that we lose a lot of old people as we age, we lose we lose muscle mass and we lose fat and we start to shrink. And these vitamins, vitamin D or pro-hormone vitamin D technically, it's fat soluble. And think about the last 70 years of diet advice, avoid fat, avoid fat, avoid fat. And so not only have we got all these people in these generations that have you know, gone through decades of their life you know, fearing fat and being terrified of it, but they're also losing body fat and they're also losing muscle as they age. Not a, and, and you might say, well, Maddie, if vitamin D is fat-soluble, why don't obese people have more of it? Well, we obviously have to consider that the fat in the body is already in storage, right? Um, it's not necessarily going in with the food. So when you have fat-soluble uh, vitamins in your food, you should also make sure you have some healthy fats going in. It's same when you take a supplement. If you take a, a fat-soluble supplement, either it needs to be attached to a fat molecule and you'll find that some supplements are actually attached to fat molecules so that they can be absorbed. Um, or you need to have fat along with it. For instance, the vitamin D supplement I use goes alongside uh, olive oil. So it's actually olive oil is the thing that it's bound to inside the supplement so that it's absorbed and doesn't just pass right through without that that assistance of the fat molecule. Um, All right, so... When it's inside the body, interestingly, you know, I said before that it's, it's got receptors on in every single cell of the entire body, which is really cool. Um, it actually impacts when we consume vitamin D, it actually helps regulate 5% of the entire genome. 
Now, you might think, Maddie, 5% is not much. 5%, your genome is vastly complex. Remember, to program the genome, the genome project cost $1 billion. So 5% is a very significant portion of that. And a, a big chunk of that 5% is your immune system, your immune cells. Vitamin D literally binds to the cells to trigger immune cell response and this is epigenetics right is that when something happens outside the cell with something that is not genetics that then leads to genetics being switched on or switched off or changing the way that they do things that is epigenetics and it's such a fascinating field and you can change your genetic expression by the way you consume food the air you breathe the water you drink the thoughts you think uh, which is why we're sort of we've you've seen a big transition over the last mm, let's say decade of people talking about about DNA and genetics to people talking about epigenetics because you can have you know the gun loaded with all the most horrible stuff in the world but if you live well you might never actually turn those genes on and you still although you might be have a predisposition to cancer or MS or anything like that if you eat well you might not actually trigger any of those things and the good thing is too epigenetics is fantastic because even once triggered we can actually wind a lot of those things back by our, by having better choices um All right, problems. Some problems. So there are some people with genetically low vitamin D, so they've got less receptors. uh, They've got less metabolites genetically in their body. And interestingly, and this is really interesting because I've said that like freaking four times, um, people with genetically low vitamin D are more likely to die from respiratory infections. (gasps) What happened over the last couple of years? Well, if so much of the world has chronically low vitamin D and we experienced uh, respiratory infections, what happened? People died. Although, look, people die every year from respiratory infections and I would argue that vitamin D was always a part of the equation and respiratory infections have always killed people that have got low vitamin D. However, it's just something to be aware of that you're more likely to um, you know, have difficulty with respiratory infections if there's low vitamin D, both genetically and Uh, in the way that you eat, live, get outside because it all results in not having enough vitamin D to fight the, the infection, right? So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. The other thing too is hypercalcemia. So what is hypercalcemia? Too much calcium. 
Hypercalcemia is uh, basically high calcium levels in blood serum. So the reason that that's associated with vitamin D is because vitamin D and calcium have this relationship in the body where one helps the other. So a lot of the time you should, if you're supplementing vitamin D, you should not only be supplementing vitamin D, but also the K vitamins. So your K2 particularly, you might see uh, supplements out there, D3, K2. Fantastic. This is what you want. Also K1 is really important as well because it helps shunt calcium to the places that it needs to go, like the bones, the muscles. Uh, and so you, if you have loads of vitamin D but not enough calcium, then guess what? The vitamin D just hangs out in your blood and does anything. It's the same thing the other way around is that you can have loads of calcium that just hangs out in the blood serum, but if there's not enough vitamin D to help it do what it needs to do along with the, the supporters K1 and K2, uh, which both have diff- very different roles, then we're in a situation where nothing's quite doing what it needs to do, even though you're taking all the right supplements. So it's very important that uh, vitamin D and calcium, we know that vitamin D and calcium have this relationship where they work together. So we need to make sure that we're doing both of them together. Um, and, And what I mean by that is getting outside and having plenty of calcium in the diet. I am not a huge advocate for dairy. I don't think necessarily everyone should cut it out uh, always forever uh, because you can develop your own intolerance and maybe you, you know, you don't want that and you want to never say goodbye to milkshakes. <laughs> I freaking love milkshakes. Um, but my point is that, you know, there's ways to get calcium into the diet in plenty abundant level without having to be in a situation where you're drinking loads and loads of milk. I haven't, I haven't purchased milk in, oh my God, five, seven, I don't know, eight, 10 years. Like, yeah, I don't even remember. Uh, And keeping in mind too that despite the advertising, um, nut milks or nut juices, (laughs) your almonds, your coconut, that type of thing, is not, uh, it's not milk at all. So if you're buying those things thinking you'll get your calcium intake, that's probably not the best place to get it from. Anyway, so how much vitamin D do we need? About 4,000 IUs on a daily would be, would be pretty good. There's lots of different recommendations around this. Remember the kind of amount that your, your doctor or the, um, you know, your government is going to recommend is going to be much lower because they are trying to make sure you don't get sick, which is great. Um, but not being sick and diseased isn't healthy. If you walk into a doctor's clinic, there are a lot of people that walk out that are visibly not in great shape that have just been told by their doctor, Everything fine. Everything's fine. The tests look fine. You're doing perfectly well. We see that all of the time. So many people that feel not amazing or not 100% be told that they're really well. Remember, there's a very big variation in the recommendations, but I think 4,000 IUs is pretty good. Um, that's sort of, and that's the, the recommendation is that is the upper tolerable intake, which is the way that the um, government basically say, beyond this, we don't really know if it is dangerous or not. So let's just, uh, let's just make sure that we stay around there. So, and I guess the way you'd want to calculate that is like, you know, about five nanograms per milligram of blood, or per, per milliliter of blood. Um, so, but yeah, having it regularly in your life is important. And the number one supply should be from the sun. Like everything that you take and supplement is going to be a lookalike molecule, otherwise known as an analog, which is not the real molecule. It doesn't mean it's not going to do a great job and not be helpful. Um, but the best thing is at source, which is the sun, getting your bare skin into the sun. Um, or the alternative is every single day, you could eat 80 to 90,000 calories worth of cheese. So <laughs> you get plenty of dairy and plenty of information and no doubt plenty of toilet time off the back of that because that's what 
it's probably a month's worth of energy right there. Um, so yeah. Um, the other thing too is, of course, bone health. So we obviously get ad- we've been advertised throughout the '90s, particularly. Uh, you know, drink your milk to get your calcium to build strong bones. So vitamin D is as much a part of this uh, idea because they're friends. So high calcium and low vitamin D can lead to a situation where you've got osteoporosis, osteopenia, weak bones, fractures, and that's a very common thing, particularly for women in the Western world, is that your bones get brittle as you age. And the interesting thing is, most of the people People that slot into that osteoporosis, osteopenia category have been eating cereal and milk on their cereal every morning for like 30, 40, 50 years. So clearly getting enough calcium into the system via milk is the message that we've been sold. Clearly that's not really doing the thing. It's not doing what we want. Now there's a lot of contributors, of course, um, but this weak bones is definitely contributed to by a deficiency of vitamin D because calcium, even if you've got enough, can't do its job properly if there's not enough of it in there. Um, Additionally, most people at that age are not lifting weights. So the way that uh, the calcium supply in your body works is that if there's a deficiency or an insufficiency in the blood, your bones, your genetics will say release calcium from the bones, right? And so if we're not getting enough calcium in and it's not being done uh, with what it's meant to be doing, um, then literally your bones will release more calcium into the blood. Uh, and the opposite will happen as well. If, if there's um, plenty of calcium in the blood and there's a demand on the bones for more calcium, then your bones will uptake calcium. And obviously all this is in the presence of vitamin, healthy vitamin D levels. And the way, the way to increase the demand of your calcium in the bones, and women, ladies, listen, listen, uh, because osteoporosis is most likely to happen to you, same with osteopenia, um, is to lift weights because you want to increase the demand or the requirement for your bone density to increase. The way to do that is to put those bones under weight, under pressure, so that those bones require strengthening. And then the message will go out to the blood, hey, we need more calcium in the bones to strengthen these guys up because we're frequently seeing that they're under stress and under pressure. Uh, And we do this with weight. And enough weight that it's pressure not just picking up the one or two kilograms and just throwing them about and being like, oh, I did the gym today. I feel fantastic. (laughs) Hey, which if you start there, that's okay, but we don't want to stay there. Um, And basically, yeah, put these bones and your muscles, of course, under some pressure. So you actually want to, it's not necessarily about going home sore, but you want to have to put in effort to make these things move beyond what would be the effort of just getting out of a chair or something like that. You know, all all sorts of stuff, squatting, push-ups, chin-ups, you know, even even assisted, right? Um, Or lots, there's lots of body weight stuff you can do, uh, lots of yoga stuff you can do where you're putting pressure on these bones and muscles. um, But then the next level would definitely be to pick up some heavy weight at the gym uh, so we can increase the demand. And again, this is only going to work properly if we're getting enough vitamin D. So make sure you walk to and from the gym, get your gear out, get the skin into the sun and lap it up because your skin was literally designed for it. However, obviously, if you're wearing makeup or um, sunscreen, obviously, you're blocking the possibility of that happening at all. Um, yeah. So anyway, get to the gym, pick up some heavy shit. <laughs> um, there was also a study done of supplementing vitamin D and calcium together which is what we've just been talking about. And they found it led to a significant decrease, you're going to like this one, in body fat compared to the placebo group. And the reason that they believe that is the case is because there is a large concentration of vitamin D receptors 
in the paraventricular nucleus, which is inside of our brain. And that is an area of the brain that directly regulates how we process glucose, right? Glucose being sugar, sugar coming from carbohydrates and usually problem foods. Uh, And so that has a positive, that uh, is part of the brain, helps regulate glucose in a particular way and therefore has a positive uh, influence on appetite. Fantastic. Um, So we're eating less. We're more in control of our food choices. Uh, So again, more reasons for calcium and vitamin D. The other thing about in regards to weight is that there was this study that I read uh, that was done on insulin sensitivity. Now, look, caveat is that it's a very short study. However, hopeful, right? Insulin, they, so people that were overweight, there's a few different groups of people and they're measuring the insulin sensitivity. So what is insulin sensitivity quickly? It's how sensitive your cells are to taking up the uh, glucose out of the blood. Because if you leave your glucose in the blood too long, it can be toxic, poisonous, and even fatal. And the job of insulin is to be released by the pancreas and help like partner with the glucose molecule and transport it inside the cell out of the blood, right? So they were testing how sensitive uh, people are. And by the way, just to, um, so diabetics are basically insulin resistant, right? And insulin resistance is the sort of uh, sign before you get classified with pre-diabetes then diabetes. All right, back to the study. So they found that over a two-week period, they gave uh, the, uh, the, this obese group of individuals 100,000 IUs, so international units. That's just the way that vitamin D is measured. Um, they gave it to them over two weeks, so 100,000, which is loads, right? But if you go across every single day, it's not too crazy. But um, they gave it to two weeks, so only 14 days, a very short study. But they found that in the beginning, there was 82% of people were classified medically as insulin resistance. And by the end of the two weeks, when retested, only 18% of them were insulin resistance. And the people that were part of the category that obviously improved their insulin resistance to becoming insulin sensitive, they lost four times as much weight. Now, again, two weeks, extreme Uh, weight loss is not a good idea, but this is just evidence that vitamin D has a positive influence on the brain in a way that possibly helps the way we regulate our food choices and navigate body weight, food intake, all of those kinds of things that lead to obesity and excess fat on the body. So that's pretty cool news. Um, The other thing they found too in another study was that deficiency in pregnant women can actually lead to neonatal seizures and adverse events after birth, which generally speaking, neonatal seizures are generally quite rare. And the good news is that calcium supplementation can actually reduce preeclampsia by up to 53%. Preeclampsia happens in pregnant mums that obviously have issues with calcium, um, but also of course, vitamin D, um, and a number of other things. So preeclampsia is basically a complication in pregnancy with uh, where you might have a situation where you've got high blood pressure, you've got high levels of protein in the urine, um, and that can kind of indicate, depending on the individual, uh, kidney damage, and it's obviously going to be more likely in people that have lived a very Western life in regards to their diet and lifestyle and their body weight at that time. Uh, and it's one of those things that if left untreated can actually end up being fatal for both mother and baby. Um, so it's a range of different things that, that contribute to it, but it's, it's very problematic. However, they've, as I mentioned, they found that in this situation, fortunately, uh, we can actually improve the situation before it happens with calcium supplementation, which is, of course, going to help the absorption of vitamin D too. Um, adequate amounts of vitamin D is actually associated also with lower risks of colon, breast, prostate, and ovarian cancers. Fantastic. Get your vitamin D up since we're almost at one in two will be diagnosed with cancer in their lifetime. Similarly, 
Same with calcium. I found that uh, healthy calcium supplementation can lower the risk of colorectal and breast cancer. So the message just seems to be the same over and over and over again. Irrelevant of the length of the study, irrelevant of the disease, right? Because of its role in calcium absorption, vitamin D actually activates the genes that regulate your immune system and help manage uh, free radical damage or the response to free radical damage. And they also release neurotransmitters. Now, this is where we start moving into the space of mental health, depression, and anxiety. So particularly dopamine and serotonin. So dopamine being known as the happy hormone, the pleasure hormone, and serotonin, which is that kind of sustained version of the happiness as well. Both are very much a part of feeling happy, accomplished, well, loved, nurtured, all of that kind of stuff. And so the... These really impact the function and development of the brain. And so they found that vitamin D receptors on a handful of cells located in the regions of the brain have the same regions linked, are the same regions that are linked with depression. So again, this area is a bit vague and a bit unclear and there's a lot of research because neurobiology and physiology is very, very complex and very much in its infancy. Um, But we're starting to see these strong associations. And so along with that kind of association is this sad. Well, and I went to say the name of it, but I thought I'll start with sad. So people that are on sad have mood, mood disorders, right? And sad is the standard Australian diet or the standard American diet. No, I'm totally kidding. Sad is actually seasonal affective disorder, right? So seasonal affective disorder might be colloquially known as the winter blues. So it's basically a mood disorder featuring depressive symptoms occurs during the dark times of the year or the winter times of the year or the low sun. And some areas of the world have literally no sun for significant times of the year. Um, And the idea being is that it obviously coincides with a drop in vitamin D levels in the body. And we know from loads of studies, and apart from that just being verbally obvious, that the symptoms of sad being sad, seasonal affective disorder, and I would also argue the effects of the diets as well, uh, the sad diets, but they may be due to the ch- levels of changing vitamin D throughout the year because that directly then impacts dopamine, serotonin, the hormones and neurotransmitters that actually make you feel good, make you want to accomplish things, make you feel driven and connected and all of that kind of stuff. So it seems kind of pretty obvious, right? Um, and, and the connection in, the, in, in between vitamin D and the neurotransmitter serotonin is huge because that process requires tryptophan. So tryptophan comes from protein. It's an amino acid in protein. And the reality is, in my opinion, most people I speak to particularly women, are not getting enough protein. They don't get enough protein in frequently enough across the day. And so therefore, it's likely there's a possible tryptophan deficiency. So even if you get enough vitamin D in there to build and construct uh, the neurotransmitter serotonin, if you don't have enough of the building blocks, aka your amino acids, specifically tryptophan, then you got nothing to build, right? Um, So it's like rocking up with all the right tools and actually no materials. So it's like, yeah, cool, vitamin D and calcium and all the things you need are there, but tryptophan's in low concentration. And the other thing is too, we actually need carbohydrates. Dare I say it, as much of an advocate as I am for, oh, I don't want to say low-carb diets, but low-carb diets, (laughs) not no-carb. And I think carbohydrates are very important specifically for women. But also in this example is that the, the carbohydrate shunts that across the blood-brain barrier. It shunts the protein into the part of the brain where we need to build these neurotransmitters. 
So it stands to reason that carbohydrates don't just make you happy because they give you good mouth pleasure, (laughs) but they also help with the vitamin D tryptophan construction of serotonin, or at least the pathway that leads to the development and use of serotonin in the brain. Uh, and, and I mean, you, you just have to talk to any anyone to know that everybody feels a little bit down in the winter. Uh, and I mean, we, we've got studies and there's lots of anecdotal res- reports by psychologists and therapists, but I don't think you need those. Everybody knows that in the winter months, everyone's feeling a little slower, a bit, a bit more lethargic, a little less happy about themselves. Everybody's carrying a little bit more body fat than usual, which is which is a biological thing, but nobody feels good about it in a Western society. Um, And so, yeah, we know that vitamin D definitely impairs and prolongs the recovery of not feeling well because when the sun is less, then obviously all of our feel-good hormones are less. And so in order to claw ourselves back from anxiety or depression, it's a longer road. It's more difficult. Not to mention that even when the sun is out, we're all locked up in our houses. And I literally say that in a room that has currently got the blinds closed. (laughs) Don't worry. After this, I'm getting outside. I'm getting outside. Um, We also know from the Netherlands study that they found that low levels of vitamin D correlated with symptoms of major and minor depression in the study they did with 169 individuals ages 65 or older so and there was another one an English study a British study that did uh, 2070 people so much larger people that were 65 and older and they concluded the same thing vitamin D deficiency is associated with depression in northern countries uh, right and so again those countries that are exposed exposed to the cold less likely to have clear available sun that's able to produce vitamin D in the skin and Although I don't know, but I'm guessing all of those studies were not just white people. So we've got people with thicker, darker skin. That means that they're, it's even more difficult in some of those countries to be able to absorb vitamin D. So possibly prolonging the capacity for vitamin D uh, deficiency to impact the state of mental health, right? So maybe it goes even longer, right? The good news is there's good news, believe it or not. Um, they found that uh, people with vitamin D deficiency who received high doses of the vitamins saw an improvement in their depressive sy- symptoms after about two months, right? Uh, they, even, they did a really small study on, uh, this is separate to that one, uh, on nine women, all of whom were vitamin D deficient or insufficient. Remember from the start, they're two different categories, but both are not good. <laughs> and they found that a daily dose of 5,000 IUs of vitamin D significantly improved their depressive symptoms, which is fantastic. And 5,000 I use is about what I take on the daily and I feel great. (laughs) Um, Not that that's a recommendation, by the way. Little disclaimer, legal disclaimer. Equally in the mental health space, like the the impact of vitamin D uh, intake and absorption goes beyond just this anxiety and depression and feel-good stuff in the construction of our happy hormones and dopamine and serotonin neurotransmitters. Um, But... It even goes as far as schizophrenia and it's all like which has also been linked with low levels of vitamin D and so there's a, a an Aussie university actually University of Queensland did a study where they studied 424 Danish newborns who developed schizophrenia and they concluded that infants born in winter or spring when birth mothers have decreased levels of vitamin D are at an increased risk of developing schizophrenia. So it's super interesting, right? These mums that are building humans within them are not getting enough vitamin D for themselves, let alone their growing babies. So another group of people that should probably lie in the sun a lot more is people that are pregnant, 
obviously don't get sunburnt. Uh, you know, it's short stints in the heat of Australian summer or the heat of wherever you are, but regular exposure to the sun for pregnant women. Oh, because your level requirement levels have just gone up, you know, a lot compared to what your own health management requires. Um, and look, a lot of people say uh, that want to start planning for a baby will often say, oh, yeah, you know, we're wanting to have a baby soon, so we'll start to get healthy. And they might get off the pill and they might start eating a couple more salads, maybe three to six months out. But in my opinion, it really needs to be two years because you've got a lot of detoxing to do in order to build a healthy baby that doesn't have deficiencies and um, intolerances and uh, autism or, you know, um, ADD and ADHD and all of these things that the modern world is riddled with. So I would say minimum two years of getting your body healthy. And this includes regular vitamin D, regular sun exposure, because those groups of people that are at risk for vitamin D deficiency include pregnant women, but the elderly, adolescents, obese individuals, and of course, those with chronic illnesses, diabetes, cancer, um, if not just anybody that spends too much time inside. Put your hand up if you spend too much time inside. I can see all of your hands up. (laughs) No, I'm not at your window being a creeper. My hand is up though. (laughs) So there's like, there's lots of associations between our health and wellness. And if you think about all the things I mentioned, in regards to the health of the body, the immune system, bones, uh, brain health. If you think about those as something separate to anxiety and depression and then think about how you feel about your body when your body is not well or able, it then you, it, it kind of is linked to, to anxiety and depression anyway, right? Because even though we don't necessarily have a clear pathway in the brain to be like, oh, so insulin sensitivity is directly related to um, lowering serotonin and that influences vitamin D, blah, 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 right? If you just think about how you feel when you're unwell, you feel lower, you feel sadder, you feel depressed. And so you can see how all of these other health issues, even if it's not mechanistically proven yet that emotionally would also increase the likelihood of depression and anxiety because we don't feel good about all of these different parts of our life, right? So the take-home message from all of this is to get your skin into the sun because everybody feels better for a day at the beach or a day hiking or a day outside in the lovely wellness. It's why rooftop bars are loved because everybody feels great in the sun, right? Um, And there's a reason for that. And it's because we spent thousands and thousands of years in the sun. And remember, you want to get your skin in the sun. You don't want to be there too long because you don't want to burn the shit out of yourself and turn into a tomato and damage your skin. You want to stay keep that skin healthy and well as much as you can from the outside, although the health of your skin is mostly maintained from the things that you eat, right? Um, But vitamin D is so important. Calcium is so important. Lots of fantastic foods to get calcium from. Really, really easy to get in the diet. But importantly, anyone that's feeling down, depressed, dealing with something that's really tricky, Start going outside. Start catching up with your friends by going for a walk. Start uh, when hubby comes home from work or when you come home from work, grab hubby and, uh, or your partner and say, hey, let's go for a walk and make sure you get your arms out and your legs out and get that vitamin D into the skin. It's not just because you moved your body that you feel great when you do that stuff or you're like, oh, I feel kind of refreshed. It's because you've just loaded up on vitamin D. So get out there. If you've got a balcony, so in summer, what I do, 
when the sun hopefully will come out very soon, um, is like in the morning, first thing before the sun's too hot, I get out there in nothing but shorts, short shorts. So anybody who knows where I live, come and check that out. <laughs> um, and I literally just stand there in the sun. Um, you'll often see a Facebook or social media story of me doing that just to get my daily dose. And I get out there a few times a day usually. Uh, and it's at the heat, top of summer and in, in the heat, it's only for a couple of minutes sometimes, but in the morning I try and do 15 to 20 um, front and back, like sort of split it up in the middle and load up on that vitamin D. And then I know I'm getting my calcium uh, from my diet. So I encourage you, please get outside or anyone you know that's not feeling well, force them to catch up with you or do things that are outside that are in the sunlight, kids, older people, everybody. Uh, because everybody will feel better with vitamin D. And as I said at the start, many of these studies, if not all of them, are association studies, but I think you don't need to be a scientist or a doctor or a research study to to know that everybody just feels better in summer, right? So if you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend that you think needs to uh, get out into the sun. Uh, maybe meet them out in the sun and listen to this episode together. <laughs> uh, but if you've enjoyed this episode, I would love to see it shared on social media. Take a screenshot uh, or, or simply just share this episode with uh, a loved one that you want to listen to it because you want to spread the good word. And of course, we want to grow the positive impact on the world. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but my mission is to create a world where everybody is somebody's healthy friend. So we can only do that uh, by helping grow this community through you sharing what you think is valuable for somebody else. And hopefully you feel that that is this podcast. So thanks for being here. Uh, I'll chat to you in all of the places that we'll chat, (laughs) social media world, the internet world, or I'll simply catch you here on the next episode. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use, and we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.